Hey everyone, this is the fifth episode of the Gaming with Passion podcast, where I talk with good friends about games and concepts that they're extremely passionate about. I'm your host, Schnickerman, and in today's episode, I'm going to talk with my good friend, Dakmons. We're going to talk about his history with Pokemon growing up, how he got into the franchise, what he likes about it, what his favorite game is, and ultimately we'll transition to talking about how he got involved in competitive Pokemon and tips and tricks for people who are trying to get into playing Pokemon VGC, what they can do, and just offer some insight for new players who maybe during this quarantine are trying to get involved in the competitive Pokemon scene. So everyone, welcome to Gaming with Passion episode 5. Today's guest is Dakmons on the podcast. So do you want to take a minute to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Dakmons. I've been streaming sort of a variety of different things on Twitch, mostly Pokemon related, whether it's competitive Pokemon or sort of challenge runs. And so what's the name of your Twitch channel so people can find you if they want to? Twitch.tv slash Dakmons. So this episode, we're going to be talking about Pokemon and more specifically the competitive scene of Pokemon and how you can get involved in that if you want. First question that I want to ask is, what are your origins with Pokemon the game series? Uh, So when I was a kid, my uncle actually gave me a copy of Pokemon Blue. I did the normal childhood thing of uh, I picked a starter, in this case it was Blastoise, and used just that throughout the entire playthrough until I couldn't make it through the Elite Four and gave up. Eventually I ended up getting uh, Pokemon Silver and that's sort of when I became more interested in Pokemon. Uh, I actually managed to beat it, uh, go through, uh, that had me go back, replay Pokemon Blue again, and then it was right around the time that Pokemon Emerald came out and, uh, or Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire came out and that spurred my full interest and love of Pokemon. This is a more personal question, but do you remember like what your reaction was as a kid playing Pokemon for the first time? Like in terms of like, was it so unique to you that you became interested in it? Uh, Pokemon was really interesting to me as a kid. My mom was incredibly strict. Uh, The games that I had, my first game that I remember was a bass fishing game for the Game Boy Color. My (laughs) second game was Motocross Champion. I grew up mostly playing racing games. Pokemon was the first uh, non-racing game, car game that I was playing. And it was, so it was the first game that had an adventure. I think that's fairly similar to my experience as well. When you're a kid, I feel like people's parents tend to buy them licensed games and like you said, sports games games and different things like that. They're not used to uh, giving their kids, you know, brand new IPs. So I guess that brings me to my next question, which is uh, you mentioned Gen 1, Gen 2, as well as Gen 3. Which generation of Pokemon piques your interest the most? Which one do you look back on the most fondly? By far, the generation that I have the rose-colored glasses for is Gen 3, specifically the Hoenn region. I put so many hours, that was the first game that I maxed out the recorded hours on the cartridge. I had the guidebook that it was so like dilapidated just from me 
continuously pouring over it. The binding was held with duct tape. I put so many hours into that. I think it was because uh, Gen 1 came out and I was still quite kind of too young to quite grasp what was going on. It was, like I said, I was just throwing my Blastoise out and just trying to, you know, hydro pump the world. Gen 2. Gen 2, it was, you know, okay, Typhlosion and maybe two more things. Uh, Gen 3, you were thrown in. Everything was brand new. Like, there were a couple Pokemon from previous games, but everything was new. I actually, I was at the age where you actually start thinking of, you know, okay, what type's better? Make sure that you have type coverage on the team, that sort of thing. Okay, so Gen 3 for you was when you kind of first started getting it all together and saying, Okay, so there's a way you probably should be playing Pokemon games. Yeah, that was the one where I realized, oh wait, you don't just try to brute force the game. Yeah, I think everybody has the story of playing Gen 1 and just only using their starter because I think that was just kind of how younger people understood the game was, well, I need to just get through these enemies as quickly as possible and do minimal work. They didn't understand typings or anything like that. It was just kind of like, Okay, press A to win. And then, you know, also going through your Pokemon, like you've got your Blastoise, you're giving it Surf, mm -hmm. Hydro Pump, and like two other water moves. So you have no type coverage. You're just, nope. well, it's a water Pokemon, blast it with water. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, if I'm level 85, then it doesn't really matter what the other Pokemon is, to be honest. Oh, exactly. You know, you just make sure that your one Pokemon can handle the entire Elite Four. On my brother's red version, I think he had a level 99 Charizard, and that was with no rare candies. That was just because he just only used the Charizard. Oh yeah, that that sounds about right. I My my first level 100 Pokemon was my Typhlosion, yeah. and I did not put a single rare candy into that. I guess my next question would be, what is the black sheep of the series, in your opinion? In my opinion, and I'm going to... I would get a lot of hate from the community. I think it is Gen 5. I think it's mainly because uh, after after Gen 3, the Pokemon games moved over to the Nintendo DS. I no longer had the system they were playing on, and I was at the age of, if you want it, you gotta buy it. I didn't rush out and buy a DS on my, you know, freshman year of high school money. I skipped Gen 4 and Gen 5, and didn't play again until Gen 6, which also kind of the community itself has a big, you know, asterisk on Gen 6. They're not a big fan of it. I think it'll change, but uh, Gen 5 is very well known for the storytelling aspect, but it's, again, Pokemon is a kid's game. The story that is being told, if you're going back through and playing it your first time as an adult, isn't going to hit quite as hard as seeing it and like playing through it as a child. For me, it just does nothing to me, if that makes sense. Gen 5 is black and white, right? Yeah. I think it makes sense, and I, it's interesting to me because... I'm not the largest Pokemon fan, but what actually does appeal to me is trying to play black and white, which I've never played, because people do talk about the story element, and for me, when I play RPGs, I do like to have games with a lot of story, which Pokemon typically don't. Yeah, it's kind of the reverse, I think, but I still haven't played it, but I would like to at some point. I still definitely recommend playing it. Uh, I 
played through, uh, I think it was white that I played through. I tried playing through either black two or white two. Just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. Again, I tend not to play Pokemon games for the story as much as more of uh, catching the Pokemon and raising them, the collecting. Yeah, I get that. And like I said, I think that that's what the majority of people do. I can see where you're coming from with your opinion, saying that that kind of the, the one game that kind of differs from the rest. I have two additional questions. The first one being, what are your opinions on the most recent releases of Sword and Shield? I personally love Sword and Shield. I know there's a lot of blowback because of what they call Dexit, which is... What they did is they released the game without every single Pokemon being able to be transferred over to the game, uh, which was a big deal. It was the first game that you weren't able to bring in your Swampert that you got back in Gen 3 over to the current version. As much as that wasn't great, the quality of life improvements to the game overall, and for me, playing a Pokemon always handheld, I always wanted to be able to play the main series of Pokemon games, because I know there are some spin-offs that you can play on a TV console. Being able to play the main game on a TV was something that I'd been looking forward to since I was a kid. Yeah, I have to agree with that because I'm still, I've owned a lot of handhelds, pretty much every type of Game Boy that existed. But as I get older, I realize that I actually really dislike handheld gaming. I haven't checked out a sword or shield yet but i would love to be able to play pokemon on a console and not a handheld it was a lot of fun i still made sure i replayed omega ruby alpha sapphire prior i went back through my pokemon x playthrough you know getting prepped for sword and shield to be released but going from having to just you know play on a three inch screen to then being able to play yeah. on a 40 50 inch tv it's yeah. just <laughs> such a difference yeah i can definitely understand that one of the really nice things that i think sword and shield integrated with is they sort of leaned into i don't know if you've watched too much of the anime no i haven't the anime they take a different approach when it comes to you know being the pokemon champion they do it as a tournament style so the idea is you have this big stadium where all these Pokemon trainers come out and they battle and everything, and that's where Ash goes and for the most time loses. Sword and Shield took that energy that you have in the anime and really put it into the gym system and the... There is no Elite Four uh, for Sword and Shield. It's a tournament just like in the anime. That's pretty interesting. I, I like things like that. Like, I know that the Pokemon series gets a little bit of hate for not innovating and keeping everything the same. And I understand why they primarily keep the formula very similar, but it's kind of cool to see or to hear things like that where they are switching things up a bit. Yeah, it was definitely a nice refresh on the traditional battle style. I mean, going into your first gym battle in the game, it's taking place in a what looks like a major soccer stadium and the background music has all sorts of like chanting and cheering and the music for this game is honestly phenomenal when it comes to the battle music compared to previous games um it really when you're playing 
these matches, you really get into it. The music is really like, I don't know, it's upbeat. It's you feel like you're trying to, it feels like a sports event. And that's what's really cool too about Pokemon, again, going from a handheld to a main console, or at least hybrid console. Even on the 3DS, you have serious music restrictions on what you can have the game music be. And now you can finally get HD surround sound and things like that yeah. playing through your Switch. So now, And I just like the, I like the vibe overall of the music in the game. Uh, there's the wild area, which is one of the new things they introduced into the game where there are Pokemon that are surrounded or they are spawning based on like weather and region in that area. Because Sword and Shield is sort of based on the UK, at one point through the wild area, there's like, you know, bagpipes in the background of the music. And I thought it was a cool showcase of sort of the region it was based off of. Yeah, I do like how they always add those little touches like in uh, X and Y where it's mostly based off of like France. So there's like a very high fashion element and things like that. Yeah, and Sun and Moon, ha like they nailed it with some of the uh, towns as well. You kind of touched on it earlier, but you mentioned that as you got further into this series, you took the game a little bit more seriously and you thought about strategy a lot more. What what do you think interests you so much in deciding to take the game a little bit more serious and not play just casually? So it kind of propelled me into the more serious, uh, especially building around like competitive Pokemon, was a couple of us... Uh, friends from work all had the games we played Pokemon together and we got the idea of hey let's do a Pokemon draft league where we draft Pokemon we build teams around our drafted Pokemon and we battle each other this was my first foray into competitive Pokemon completely I had no clue what I was doing we were doing 6v6 singles I had never done any sort of breeding for like IVs or natures. Uh, I didn't really know what EV training was. And that was my first foray sort of into competitive Pokemon. It was really nice having a group of friends that you're doing this with, uh, teaching each other different things. And that really kind of propelled me to go even more into competitive and moving into Pokemon-sanctioned VGC doubles. Okay, so before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about how that draft worked? Like, how were you choosing the different Pokemon that everyone was able to use? Yeah, so the way that we set up the draft is there's this website called smogon sort of it's a community based around competitive singles using the showdown ladder they have a specific set of rules where they put pokemon in two different tiers based off of how good they are taking a legendary pokemon like rayquaza you're going to want to try to, you know, you don't want to have a team full of Rayquazas going up against somebody who maybe has a Zigzagoon. So they have ordered this tier list. This tier list we took and we broke up the Pokemon and we were like, okay, you can choose X amount from this tier, X amount from this tier, and X amount from this tier. And we did sort of this snake draft where we went through, we picked the 
sort of good Pokemon first, and then it got down into the weeds where we were like, hmm, how can we try to balance out our team? Okay, I only have Mr. Mime and Stunfisk to choose from. Which one do I want to be left with? <laughs> so that's kind of cool. So th this was all based off of you and a few friends. So the draft worked like everybody got one of them, or did you have way more options than everyone was able to select? Like, did you just keep picking until there was none left, or...? We picked for a team, I believe it was a team of 16, and we took from, so the first thing that we did, the first thing we did was picked our Gigantamax Pokemon. So in this case, it was from a list of the newly introduced Gigantamax Pokemon in the Sword and Shield that have some sort of special move as their G-Max move. And from then on, we picked based off of what's considered overused in the format. So things like Dracovish, and Pokemon that can abuse weather. You also mentioned IVs, so I guess can you give a kind of really basic background on IVs for people who might not be familiar with that kind of uh, element of Pokemon? Yeah, so IVs are the individual values that are associated with the Pokemon. So this is going to be in your HP stat, your attack stat, defense, special attack, special defense and speed stats. These are anywhere from zero to 32. What you do when you are trying to breed a Pokemon, you want a specific set of IVs. Preferably if you have a physical attacker, you want 32 attack stat. If you want a trick room Pokemon, you want the speed stat to have zero IVs because you want to make sure that it's speed is as low as it can go and so the idea here is that when you want to play more seriously you want your pokemon to excel in the area that they're meant to excel in yeah when it comes to building a pokemon for competitive there are two main things that you have to work on evs and the ivs there's also the nature which there's a Pokemon's nature has it boost one of these attack, special attack, special defense, etc. at the cost of lowering the stats in another area. So typically if you have a physical attacker, you want to give it plus attack minus special attack. Then it has the IVs like we talked about where you want to make sure you have your IVs. Your physical attacker, if it only has 15 IVs and special attack, that's fine, that's good enough. You're not using it as for special moves, you're going to only be using it for physical that you have your 32 at. And then it comes into EVs, which are effort values. And this is where you can get a more finite customization on your Pokemon by giving it more HP, giving it more speed values, and it really helps fine-tune your, your Pokemon's stats. So essentially for raising your Pokemon for competitive, you need to do all three of these things in order to get the maximum of maximum potential out of each Pokemon, correct? Yes. So now your history is you started playing casually competitive with your friends at work, and you developed a draft system to select various teams. 
So then after that, well, I guess, first of all, how did that go? How did you feel when you started playing that? So the first thing is I learned that I'm not a fan of the singles format in Pokemon. So that's when it's you each send out one Pokemon. I learned quite a bit. Singles in general is a lot about setup. The big thing you want to do is have all of these different things that you set up on your first couple of turns to try to whittle your opponent down as it goes. It went really well. I started off doing a lot better than I ever expected to. I made it through my first couple of matches pretty close. I was still learning Pokemon in general, learning how to do this EVIV stuff. I'd spent the first couple matches not doing them optimally. I came out of it with a four and three record. I take that as a win. Yeah, that's not bad. Especially coming from having no knowledge of competitive Pokemon whatsoever. Was the rest of the group familiar with it at that point, or were there any others that were noobs? So it was actually sort of a mix. There were there were a few of us that were new players, and then there were some people that uh, played on the actual like showdown ladder doing competitive singles. I hadn't realized until after it already started and was pretty intimidated to go up against these people. <laughs> So once that happened, what did you start thinking was the next step for you? Like, what was a natural progression after you had played this with your friends and your coworkers? Um, were you already starting to think, oh, well, what, what else can I do with this? So in the process of just learning, I'd started looking up different YouTube videos and the YouTube algorithm was like, hey, let's start showing you all sorts of competitive Pokemon related things. And I started watching videos of, uh, for instance, the first one I remember is the World's 2016 Championship. That was one of the first VGC videos I watched. And then I started getting VGC creators uploading videos. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I just played singles. I'd heard of doubles. I'd done double battles the couple times during the playthrough of the game. In fact, Sword and Shield even has a gym in which it's all double battles, which is the first gym to do that in any game. And that sort of being fed the YouTube algorithm, seeing different things online, I started looking into competitive doubles more and more. Okay, that's interesting. Um, I guess, do you want to touch on what VGC actually is? So VGC is, it stands for Video Game Championship. It is the official sanctioned Pokemon competitive video game series. In this case, it's based around uh, double battles, so specifically 4v4 double battles. You show up to your match with six Pokemon in total, you see your opponent's six Pokemon, and then you choose which four Pokemon that you're going to bring to your match. So you only ever play with four, but you have six total, and therefore you can choose the best four suited for the opponent's team? Yes. So that's kind of how it goes when you get to the team selection portion. Uh, it's just trying to go, okay, this person has such and such on their team. What are my best counters for it? What do I think they're going to lead to try to counter my team? That sort of thing. Picking your best Pokemon for your opponent's Pokemon. So that's how the, that's what the VGC format is. It's always that. Yeah, it's always that. And it's either depending on sort of the tournament, uh, in-person tournaments tend to be a best of three, 
which is where having those extra two Pokemon really come in handy because you show up to the first set of the match and you bring four that you think will go good against your opponent. And it turns out that they have some sort of trick up their sleeve to completely shut down your set there. Good thing you have two Pokemon in the back your opponent hasn't seen going into game two. Unfortunately, being in the state that we're in now with COVID, uh, most tournaments have moved over to being online. The way that Pokemon has it set up in Sword and Shield to set up an online battle, it's actually a best of one ladder. So it definitely makes it so that there's a lot more shenanigans that you can do and get away with instead of a best of three, if that makes sense. Why would they decide to make the online best of one if VGC has best of three? I think it just comes down to, I don't necessarily know from previous generations, but this generation has an online ladder that you can go between uh, the tiers to get all the way up to what's uh, Master Ball tier, which is the highest rank. And it's sort of, a lot of people see it as more of like a practice area where you go on and you just do these best of one battles. The reason that they don't necessarily have it implemented in these, in Pokemon has come up with some ways to introduce best of three, but they have had to start using outside stuff in order to organize it um, outside of the actual game itself where you actually have to put in some sort of code to match up with some person in order to do a best of three set. The COVID tournament situation has become really weird for Pokemon. It's just one of those things that I'm wondering because Nintendo is notoriously known for having number one bad online support for pretty much all of their consoles. And you think something like Pokemon, which is an extremely popular series and very popular for the competitive scene, you think that they would be able to have something built in so that way players would be able to actually get some experience with the game itself and not have to rely on third-party applications and things like that. Pokemon back in Gen 6 had a really good online connect with different people for trades for battles etc since that uh, i believe it was called the pss system or something it has gotten worse with each generation the ycom that you use to try to find people now is very difficult i would hope that pokemon specifically and nintendo overall would be able to have better online play but they really don't so what time did you start that original competitive tournament with your friends like how what year was that uh so this would have been about november december of 2019 okay so from that time to whenever you decided to actually start entering tournaments how long was that in between so it was about a month to two months i started watching more content creators playing VGC and I started trying to like look things up on you know different online forums and I found that you could go on playpokemon.com and you could search your area to see if there are any local tournaments and I got lucky enough to find out that one of the comic book shops that is a 
nice, you know, five minute drive from my apartment was hosting one, uh, I believe every other week. I wasn't confident in participating in any of the bigger tournaments, but I was like, I'll give, you know, uh, a local, there's probably only going to be like, you know, eight to 10 people. I'll give that a try, see how well I do in that. And that was in February of 2020. Okay. And how did that go for you? I thought I did really well. Uh, I got technically fourth place. Uh, Granted, that was out of either eight or 10 people. I can't quite remember. It wasn't very many people. I made it so that the only set that I lost, so we actually did a Swiss style tournament where you battle a bunch of different people and whoever sort of has the best. uh, Yeah, I think that that's what it is, isn't it? You just, you basically play everybody and then whoever has the best record then proceeds to whatever top four. Yeah. So yeah. So you play you play a bunch of the different people, and then based off of your wins losses, you figure out normally if you have a bunch of people who's going to make sort of top cut and go into sort of a bracket. In my case, because there were so few of us, we just sort of took the people who had the you know most amount of wins against the best people and put them first, second, third, and fourth. Out of my my three matches, I lost one, but I at least took them to three games. Okay, so you were pretty happy overall with your first experience with competitive Pokemon, even though it was a smaller tournament, but you got the you got your feet wet. Yeah, and I I brought Pokemon. I didn't know how to build a team. Team building is probably the hardest thing when it comes to VGC. Definitely recommend for any people interested, uh, wanting to get into VGC, use rental teams. Don't feel like you have to make a team. I made a team for my first tournament. I got lucky that it worked out as well as it did. I did have a decent bit of help. So how do rental teams work? I actually say this for tournaments, you can't use rental teams, but when you're practicing on the ladder, you can use rental teams. You just need to go into the online system within Pokemon. There's a section that allows you to rent teams or even put your own teams that you make up for rent so that other people can borrow them and play around with them. Uh, so you can go through there, you can put in whichever rental team that you see, whether, you know, if you see somebody who got first place at a regional tournament on Twitter and they post their rental team, you can grab that, enter that in, and then you're actually ready to go. You don't need to build the team or anything. You can just immediately start going onto the ladder and battling with that team. That's pretty cool. I never knew that it existed. Yeah, it's a really easy way to get your feet wet. And it's the way that I recommend it. Building a team is hard. Coming up with the components of the team, then you have to breed the team. You have to get proper IVs, EVs. Having a rental code that you can just take, enter in, and start battling makes it so much easier. Yeah, especially if you decide to make a team with certain Pokemon and then realize spend all the time raising it and getting everything in place and then realizing that that's not somebody you would actually want on your team. Exactly. Thankfully, there's also a tool called uh, Pokemon Showdown. So it is a battle simulator that you can use to build teams and battle other people on it. One of the nice things is you can just select a new team and start adding Pokemon that you want to use. It gives you different items and everything. You can basically, you build the team 
without having to do all of that stuff. You can practice with the team that way. So as you as you moved along from the first formal tournament, what did you decide to do next? So that's when I started talking to another, I started talking to a couple more friends that were part of the draft league that wanted to start getting more into VGC. We started sort of working together to come up with different teams, and we were planning on going to more of, you know, local meetups where we could try out different teams and have fun. Unfortunately, that was around the time that COVID started to uh, hit the U.S., and we had to start moving to just doing online ladder. I, I guess you touched on it, but how has competitive Pokemon kind of evolved at the start of COVID and probably March to April 2020. It started out with the community not knowing what was going to happen anymore. End of the summer, early fall is typically when Worlds happens and that's when the big tournament of the year takes place and where you get the Pokemon World Champion. Well, before that, you have to qualify for Worlds by going to all these local tournaments, but no local regional tournaments were happening anymore and Pokemon was radio silent for a little bit of it. It wasn't until I believe it was April they started doing what they called international challenges and these were essentially the normal ladder that every month resets that you can just you know do these battles and practice on and get better. It was a tournament where it was just this ladder. So it was best of one. And this was, I guess, technically my first big tournament that I entered. It went okay for me. Do you want to explain a little bit more? Not necessarily how it went, but just your experience and what you thought about it. I had only been battling on the ladder a bit. I hadn't been doing too much. I'd and trying to figure out work situation, so I didn't had too much time to play. Playing on the ladder for this tournament was my first introduction into playing a lot more matches. I was using a team that three of us had built together and tried to play around and make work well with sort of off-meta weird stuff, which I have since learned it's okay to use off-meta Pokemon, don't make the off-meta Pokemon your whole team. That was sort of my thing. I went through the, it was three days and you get 15 matches each day to do. When you're starting out, I do not recommend doing all 15 matches each day. It may not seem it because you're like, oh, it's just Pokemon battling. 15 matches is a lot to go through mentally. It's a marathon. Is there any incentive in actually doing the 15 or? I would find out later on that there isn't an incentive to do all 15. The best thing that you can do is keep going. If you are on a good win streak, you know, you feel like you're, it's keeping up and you want to keep that momentum definitely keep battling. If you start to go on a losing streak and you start to get tilted, definitely sit back, lay off. So the first day of this tournament, I had a rating of, I think it was like 1640, which I took and I looked on the Pokemon home app, which you could see you know, how your progress was compared to all the other people that had, that were playing in this tournament. I was 400th in the tournament. And I was like, oh, sweet. What I should have done was stopped there. 
Day two, I hit a really bad losing streak and I ended up sliding all the way down to a rating of, uh, I think it was like 1510, 1500 is where you start. So I basically lost all the games that I had won on the first day. And how many days was this tournament lasting? Uh, so it was just three days. So it's actually, it's a little bit weird because Pokemon tries to make sure that it incorporates all the regions. It starts in the US, it starts on Thursday night and ends Sunday at like seven. So it's three days, but feels like it's four. Okay, so that's interesting. Are they continuing to do this same strategy into 2021 as well? Or have they changed things up a little bit this year? So they have changed things up a little bit. Originally, that tournament was just sort of whoever was at Sunday night at 7 p.m., whoever was first was first overall. After that, they started doing what they started calling Players' Cup, and they started having the latter portion be a qualifier, and then they started moving on to, depending on your rating from the qualifier, you would make it into a double elimination tournament that they had to use outside websites and everything in order to host. Has 2021 started yet or is it still not happened? Technically, the, because Worlds happens at like the end of summer, early fall, in Pokemon terms, that's when the year kicks over. So since, especially since like November, we have been in what they call Pokemon 2021, and uh, that's been keeping up with this online qualifier stuff. Now, this is for the Pokemon Company International. The Pokemon Company Japan has started going back to in-person tournaments, as well as some online. One of the reasons this last Players' Cup qualifier was really difficult is in order to qualify for one of the big Japan in-person tournaments, you had to have a incredibly high rating. I think you had to be, it was the top 100 Japanese players or something like that would be chosen for this tournament. So they went super hardcore on this tournament. And sorry, I should also probably clarify, Japanese players are the best Pokemon players. Every game has its own nationality of best players. I feel like it only makes sense for Pokemons to be Japanese. Everything that I have heard from a lot of the Pokemon greats is that whenever they've, they're learning or they're trying out new things, they take a look at what a lot of the Pokemon players are doing in Japan. The region is very well known for doing very innovative stuff that eventually comes over to, you know, whether it's the US or Europe and makes it big in those tournaments. I guess what I want to talk about next, we'll only have kind of maybe two more main topics here. Number one, you mentioned a little bit earlier on a tip for people. So do you have any other tips for somebody that's looking to get into the competitive Pokemon scene? Maybe what they should do, what they shouldn't do? So the first thing, like I said, uh, use rental teams, team building is difficult. Uh, another big thing, don't be afraid of using meta teams, uh, especially meta rental teams. You get used to what's common to see. Also by playing a lot of these meta teams starting out, you see how other people try to take down your own team. So that gives you an idea, okay, 
how do I attack the meta? I attack the meta the way that the person beat me, essentially. Definitely look, there's a ton of really good content creators on YouTube who make really interesting teams, who have videos that fully explain and break down each of the teams. Do you want to give a few YouTube recommendations? On YouTube, Cybertron, it is Aaron Shang. He's actually a Pokemon VGC commentator. This weekend, he's actually commentating on the Players' Cup 3 tournament. Aaron provides an in-depth analysis while playing with the team and explaining his thought process going through uh, all the motions and what to expect your opponent to do. He has a lot of experience being a VGC commentator for the Pokemon company that makes his videos really informative. Another person that I really like to watch myself is Moxie Boosted. He really likes to take an off-meta Pokemon and sort of build his team around that. So uh, one of his things that he says that really resonates with me, like I said, my first tournament, I tried to use a lot of non-meta Pokemon, and I didn't do. I didn't end up doing that great. Find what Mon does the best of what it does and build around it. That's the philosophy, huh? Yeah. If if you want to use, don't use something that's just a worse version of another thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially when it comes to Pokemon. Exactly. Uh, any other YouTube recommendations or Twitch content creators that you want to shout out? Those I think are the best overall. The 2016 world champion Wolf Glick also does VGC videos. He doesn't do as much anymore. Uh, his videos are definitely entertaining. He also does some really nice breakdowns of famous matches including his 2016 win, uh, Sajin Park's famous 2014 win with Pachirisu. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask, is there any any benefit for people getting into it to watch older stuff? I know that obviously the Pokemon meta is changing over time as the games go on, but do you think there's core values that people can learn from watching old content, especially explained by the players? Yeah, I definitely think there is, especially one thing that you'll see happen overall with each sort of series with Pokemon and the competitive scene. A lot of things, they don't necessarily repeat, but they rhyme quite a bit. So there have been so many famous team compositions over the years. There's the infamous, uh, what's called Chalk which is Cresselia, Heatran, Amoongus, Landorus, and Mega, Mega Kangaskhan that came up in popularity in 2015. But then in 2018, that was also a big part of the meta there. 2019, before the Isle of Armor, the Crown Tundra came out and it brought in a lot of legendary Pokemon that weren't available in the base game. And in series eight, they introduced these restricted legendary Pokemon into the VGC meta. And it brought back a lot of common builds of this, you know, what they call Torn Ogre with Tornadus and Kyogre, this sort of archetype uh, of a team. Uh, it was super popular in 2019. And at the start of Series 8, which was two, started two months ago, is wrapping up this month. It was one of the main cores to build around. It was the main core that if you were not building with Tornadus Kyogre, you were figuring out how to defeat Tornadus Kyogre. Okay, so 
traditionally there's just different archetypes within the meta that if you're familiarizing yourself with can probably help you in the long run because it will eventually show back up is that what you're saying yeah so you can like see like super popular old teams and be like okay i see how that worked and then think of you might have new pokemon now with the new generation that you have access to where you're just like oh i could see you know adding rillaboom to this old composition could make that composition even better yeah i think that's pretty cool kind of brewing based off of old team compositions that might have uh, a new niche to fill yeah like one of the interesting things there was uh landorus therian form and thunderous incarnate were a very common core to common duo to use together sword and shield introduced what's called the uh ability patch which allows you to get the hidden ability on a pokemon and it has now made Landorus, Thunderous being used together even more common because of the the hidden ability on Thunderous. Okay, let me ask this last question, which is, you mentioned different seasons within this year. When they have different seasons, are they doing anything different patching the game, or what's really changing? Mostly it's just they're changing the rule sets. It's arbitrarily set rules. Previous games, they just kind of went with a rule set for the year. With Sword and Shield, they started changing the rule set each what they call series a series can be one to two seasons which are just a month so the first thing was series one for pokemon sword and shield uh you couldn't use gmax pokemon so this was the new special gimmick series two started to allow more gmax pokemon fast forward to series five when the isle of armor dlc came out and added a bunch more pokemon those pokemon were now being allowed to be used in the competitive scene and same with in series seven when the crown tundra was released each series they just allowed you to use more things at your disposal except for series six they introduced the first thing the first time pokemon has ever done a ban list was there just a really broken team that they were banning they decided to they banned the top 10 series 5 pokemon for singles and doubles so it ended up being like uh 16 or 18 pokemon in total that were banned so it did get rid of a lot of the incredibly common cores okay so that's pretty interesting so they're they're definitely taking active steps to mix up the meta whether it's introducing more pokemon taking certain pokemon away i think that this is pretty good strategy yeah it's definitely kept the metas feeling fresh like right now series eight which is what we're currently in you're allowed to have one restricted legendary pokemon so that's the restricted legendaries are your box art legendaries think of groudon and kyogre uh xerneas eveltal uh those kind of pokemons their base stat totals are a lot higher than the others right now you're allowed to just have one of those uh it's actually going to change next series which is at the end of this month is going to do away with that so we're no longer going to be able to use that one restricted and it's predicted anyways that probably series 10 that comes after that will have what's known as the gs cup where we will be able to have two restrictive Pokemon. So it's 
sort of keeps the meta constantly changing up. I know at the moment, especially because we don't have online tournaments to go to or different things to participate in, I have been really burned out with Series 8 and I haven't been playing as much. I'm really looking forward to the start of next month with Series 9 rule set. I already have a couple teams that I want to showcase on stream and play around a bit. Cool. Is there uh, any last words that you may have for the audience? Maybe recommendations for, I, I guess we, I can't say recommendations for teams because everything's constantly changing, but what, what are your last thoughts you want to leave people with? I think my last thought is have fun with it, especially with these online tournaments. Play with, play with some of your favorites, play with some of your, you know, something you've never played with before enjoy it it's okay to lose it's a mindset that has been something i've had to get into a little bit more i feel every time i play i get more and more okay with losing uh, you're not going to win every single match especially if you're just starting out and don't get intimidated it's really intimidating to get into the tier system at first and it feels like Trying to get to Master Ball is going to take forever. You don't have to get to Master Ball in one sitting, uh, and you don't even have to get to it in a month. Okay, I think that's some really good advice. So I appreciate you, Dakota, coming on the podcast. I had a lot of fun talking about it. I think this will be a very informative podcast for a lot of people thinking about getting into competitive Pokemon. Maybe they were scared of trying it out, and now that they've heard your story, they'll be willing to give it a shot um, once again we will have the link for dakota's twitch stream in the description for the youtube video and we will also have links for the youtube channels that dakota was talking about that are good to start off with if you want to get into competitive pokemon so thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the fifth episode of Gaming with Passion. I love to talk to my friends about what they're passionate about related to games, and I hope you enjoy it, too. If you're a fan of this podcast, be sure to share it around. It's available on all podcasting platforms, and it really helps if you do listen to an Anchor podcast. You can create your own podcast using anchor that gets put onto all the streaming platforms for podcasts if you have enough listenership you can also get paid for people listening to your podcast so until the next time everyone peace out